0: thanks for listening to the rock hill podcast at rock hill we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of jesus listen in as pastor matt Chappell teaches how god's word applies to our everyday lives man god is so good i love praising and worshiping the lord He is worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise. And I'm so thankful that you're here today. And I'm looking forward to getting into God's word today. And today is going to be the last last sermon in the series, Battle Ready. And I'm looking forward to diving into that. But you can go and find a seat. And I have one announcement before we jump into the message today. And I wanted to make mention of a very special offering that we take every year. And it's our annual Christmas offering. And really the Christmas season reminds us of the generosity of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the reality is, is we are never more like God than when we give and then when we are generous. And uh, so every year we love to take a, a year end offering and a Christmas offering that serves different purposes. And this year, we have a, a Christmas offering that's going to serve a twofold purpose. And the first portion of the offering that we're going to collect on, that we're going to receive on December 22nd, is going to go directly to the Philippines. And uh, we're going to give towards Iloilo uh, Baptist Church and missionary Rick Martin there in Iloilo City. And uh, Rick Martin is truly a hero of the faith. And uh, he uh, has an amazing work. I believe we have, a, this is a picture of his church. And Really, you can't even see the whole thing in this picture. I've been there many, many times. And uh, he has a truly uh, a truly amazing ministry. There was a time in his ministry through his Bible college that he was starting a church every single week uh, through his Bible college. And uh, so he is impacting uh, the Philippines for the glory of God. It's truly an amazing work. And uh, I was emailing him back and forth, and he was telling telling me about how every Christmas they, they have a special program for the needy. And he sent me this flyer, and uh, they called it, uh, the annual Help the Needy 2019, and uh, he lists some of the projects that they're going to be doing. They're giving eyeglasses for the needy. They're they're going to be going to the prisons and passing out tracts and going to hospitals, and and uh, uh, they're doing all of this for people in need, and, and uh, as we were emailing back and forth, the Lord laid it on my heart that we could be uh, a part of this project with them, and uh, that our church could get behind a church that's in the Philippines and say, hey, we want to uh, help reach more people with the life-giving, life-changing me- me- uh, message of Jesus all the way in Iloilo City in the Philippines. And so uh, we have an opportunity through our Christmas offering to give towards this project. And so we're going to do that. And the second portion of our offering is going to go directly to our Multiply Fund. And if you were here at the beginning of the year, Our Multiply Fund is our building fund as a church, and uh, we love and we're thankful for the Steelworkers Auditorium, but we believe that God has a permanent home for us, and uh, we want to be in a position and a posture to be ready uh, to be able to purchase something of our own that we can meet in uh, every single day of the week, and so our Multiply Fund is all about our our building fund, and so this Christmas offering is going to go first and foremost to uh, Rick Martin there in the Philippines, and we want to bless them and let them know that we're behind them and that we care about them and support them. And then the second portion of the offering is going to go towards our Multiply Fund, our Building Fund, uh, so that God can continue to do a great work here in Fontana and the Inland Empire. And so I'm looking forward to that. And so I want to encourage you, mark your calendars December 22nd. And uh, there's an online giving portal that says 2019 uh, Christmas Offering. That's already on the website. And so you can give now, uh, for anytime from now until December 22nd. And uh, we're looking forward to what God is going to do through that, through that offering. If you have a Bible today, Judges chapter 7, if you're ready to dive into God's word, would you say amen? Judges chapter 7, and we are in the final message of our series, Battle Ready, studying the life of Gideon. Just out of curiosity, how many of you are five for five? You've been here for every week of Battle Ready. All right, congratulations, you made it. Last week, some people were asking, what happens in the story? And I was thinking, read ahead. You can find out. Judges chapter 7, and we'll start reading in verse number 9. The title of my message today is Behind Enemy Lines. Behind Enemy Lines. And I will start reading in verse number 9. The Bible says this, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. But if thou fear, everybody say, if. If If thou fear to go down, go thou with Purah thy servant down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say, and afterward shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then went he down with Purah his servant unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude. They had a big army. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host." And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped. And he returned unto the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian we'll read on, but we'll pause right there this morning for sake of time. Let's have a word of prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. and God, thank you for this opportunity this morning just to lift up some praises. God, thank you so much for the work that you're doing in our church. Thank you for the people that have been saved and baptized and the lives that have been changed. And God, you deserve all the glory and all the honor and all the praise from everything that's said and done in our midst. God, I pray that for the next few minutes as we focus on your word today, God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, give me the words to say. That would be helpful and beneficial for us. God, I pray that we can understand how to live from a posture of spiritual victory. And God, I pray that we can be encouraged and, sharp and sharpened together in our time. And we love you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said. Amen. I've grown up in California my whole life, and I think as a result of that, I am a diehard Laker fan, uh, just like all God's people should be. And uh, I've grown up my whole life loving the Lakers and cheering for the Lakers, not just when they're 14 and 2 like this season. And uh, even through the down seasons, uh, I've been a Laker fan. And I remember several years ago, uh, my brother and I and my dad we went to uh, Phoenix, Arizona to watch a Laker game in the playoffs. And we went all the way to Phoenix just to watch a Lakers game Uh, that was in the playoffs there uh, in the Phoenix Suns Arena. And we were very excited about that And I went into that stadium, and I was wearing proudly my Kobe Bryant jersey. And I remember everywhere that I went uh, in that stadium, uh, people were booing me, and they were saying, oh, what are you doing here? And they were kind of giving me comments the whole night, and and I didn't even care, but I was in this hostile enemy territory, and I was proudly representing uh, the Los Angeles Lakers. And I was actually that night selected to be one of the people that go and stand by the tunnel where the players run out, and I was standing by the tunnel where the Lakers ran out, and I got to give Kobe Bryant a high five on that night. Next to my salvation and Mary and Katie, it was the greatest day of my life. I've still never washed my hand. No. It was, a great, it was a great night. And everywhere that I went, people were booing me, and they were upset that I was wearing a Laker jersey in the Phoenix uh, Suns uh, gymnasium. But I didn't care. I was in enemy territory, but I was proud to represent uh, the Lakers even in enemy territory. And I thought about that, and I thought the truth is, as followers of Jesus, we are called to operate and to fight in enemy territory. We are called to fight behind enemy lines. The Bible puts it this way in first John chapter five, verse number nineteen. And we know that we are of God. And the whole world, everybody say the whole world the whole world lieth in wickedness. And so we are of God, we are God's children, but the world lies in wickedness. The Bible puts it this way in Ephesians 2 two, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air. And so in other words, while Jesus is sovereign over all of creation and God is in charge and God is in control, he has temporarily granted Satan power and control here on this earth. And that is why there is so much trial and so much temptation and so such a great struggle with sin because we live in this fallen and broken world and sometimes it can be discouraging living behind enemy lines because we watch the news and we think, man, uh, the world is out of control. And even in my own life, there's sin that I can't seem to get victory over. And it just seems like uh, things are getting worse and worse and worse. But I just want to encourage you that while we may be operating behind enemy lines, make no mistake about it, the Bible still says in 1 John 4, 4, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Is anybody thankful today that the God that we serve and the God that we worship is victorious <laughs> greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world and so uh, we are operating behind enemy lines and we are battling satanic opposition and many times demonic forces and make no mistake about it the devil wants nothing more than to destroy you and to lead you down the wrong path and so uh, we are operating behind enemy lines but I love what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that that document that contained uh, our sins and everything that was contrary to us. And Jesus took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having watched the spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing uh, over them. And so we worship a God who triumphs and who is victorious over these These principalities and these powers. But the question that I want us to answer this morning is how should we operate then behind enemy lines? How can we get victory even though we uh, are in this world, in this realm, but we belong to another? We are citizens of heaven. uh, This world is not our home. How do we get victory here and now while we're waiting for the kingdom to come? And to do that, I, I come to Judges chapter number seven. And uh, uh, we see this amazing story with Gideon. Just to kind of catch you up to speed a little bit, uh, the Israelites were under oppression from the Midianites, from the Amalekites. They were living far from God. They were living in sin. And so uh, God allowed them to experience this captivity, this bondage uh, under the uh, Midianite oppression. And so uh, the people cried out to God and they, they said, God, we need your help. And so God raised up a deliverer. And it wasn't a deliverer or a hero like you would think. He raised up Gideon. And when we first met Gideon, he's hiding in a wine press. He's scared to death and he doesn't really have a bunch of courageous uh, traits, but God says, that's who I want to use. And so God raises up Gideon, and we saw last week that Gideon had this army of 32,000 men And he's getting ready to go to battle. He's getting battle ready to take his 32,000 men to go and to fight the Midianites. The Midianites had around 135,000 men. So they were already extremely outnumbered. And God said, that's too many. And so 22,000 men of Gideon, they went home and Gideon was left with 10,000 men. And then God said to Gideon, that's still too many. And so then Gideon was left with just 300 men. So he has 300 men versus 135,000 men. And so he's a little bit in over his head. And uh, God is about to do something special. They're coming to the time of battle. Battle, and God sends Gideon on this on this secret mission, this little reconnaissance mission. He says, I want you to go behind enemy lines. He says, you're getting ready to go to battle, but I want you to take prayer of your servant, and I want you to go to enemy territory, and I want you to listen because I have a message for you. I have a message that I want you to hear, but you can only hear it if you go behind enemy lines. And through this reconnaissance mission, through the secret mission that Gideon and his servant go on, I believe that we can learn some ways that we can walk in spiritual victory, even when we are in enemy territory. And so if you're taking notes today, there's five ways that we can walk in spiritual victory. If you're ready, would you say amen? amen. Five ways. Number one, we have to seize every opportunity to strengthen our faith. Seize every opportunity. To strengthen your faith. Now God, God strengthens Gideon's faith in two ways here. First, he strengthens his faith with some confirmation. Everybody say confirmation. Confirmation. Notice what it says in verse number nine. It says, and it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. And I love that that statement is in past tense. God says, Gideon, I want you to go down unto the host because I have already delivered it into thine hand. I've already given you the victory. Uh, God was yet again giving Gideon confirmation and affirmation and reassurance that the battle is already won. This would have been a great encouragement for Gideon to hear. And Gideon was in need of constant uh, affirmation and constant uh, uh, confirmation. He was constantly looking for a sign. God, if it's really you, will you consume? this sacrifice and god if it's really you will you make this fleece wet and god if it's really you really you will you please make this uh, fleece dry and gideon was constantly seeking a sign and god gave it to him because we worship a god of confirmation he says, I'll give it to you. I love that God is a great reassurer, uh, that God wants to give us encouragement. He wants to give us assurance. In fact, uh, the entire book of First John is written for our assurance. It's written so that we would have uh, that confirmation. The Bible says this in 1 John 2, 3, and hereby we do know. Everybody say no. We don't have to guess. He says, hereby, we do know that we know him. To know that you know if we keep his commandments. And so God wants to give us confirmation. Uh, Now, God wants to give us confirmation when it comes to our faith. That is why when Jesus rose again from the dead, uh, the Bible says in Acts chapter uh, uh, 1, verse number 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by, watch this, many infallible proofs. And so when Jesus rose from the grave, he offered us and he gave us many infallible proofs. And so the faith that we have is not based on wishful thinking. The faith and the foundation of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so today, if you are looking for confirmation, if you are looking for assurance, look no further than the empty tomb because the empty tomb shouts confirmation. The empty tomb declares that Jesus has conquered sin. He's conquered death. He's conquered the grave. And that is our confirmation. And so, just like God was giving Gideon confirmation, He says, "I have delivered it into your hand. The battle is already won." When we look to the empty tomb, that is the message: the battle is already won. We have confirmation. We have assurance. And so, Gideon's faith is being strengthened because God is giving him this confirmation. Uh, Lee Strobel, he said this: "In short, I didn't become a Christian because God promised I would have uh, an even, even happier life than I had as an atheist. He never promised any such thing. Indeed." Following him would inevitably bring uh, divine demotions in the eyes of the world. Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling that Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved his divinity by rising from the dead. That meant following him was the most rational and logical step I could possibly take. We worship a God of confirmation. We see that in the empty tomb. God is giving Gideon confirmation. The battle is already won, but I love verse number 10. What was verse number <clears> 10 <throat> but if thou fear Don't you love that god knows gideon better than gideon knows gideon he's like the battle's already won i've given you sign after sign after sign i've showed you this i've proved it uh, i've given you miracles you've you've witnessed miracles and you've witnessed changed lives and the, the battle's won but i know you're probably still scared i know you're probably still going to doubt so doubt so if thou fear if you're afraid uh, to go down go thou with per thy servant down to the host, He says, okay, so I know that you're probably still doubting and you're still a little bit nervous about this, so I want to give you even further confirmation. Uh, so notice verse number 11. And thou shalt hear what they say, and afterward uh, shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Watch this. Then he went down with Pura. I love that. Uh, God says, if you're afraid, hey, you don't have to do this. You don't have to go down if you don't want. Uh, but if you're scared, you can do this. And Gideon's like, Pura, where are you? We got to go. Uh, we got to go find some further com- uh, confirmation. And, and so, uh, and so they, they take this opportunity. They, they seize this opportunity to go and to strengthen their faith. And I love that this wasn't even required. It was just if you want confirmation, if you want to strengthen your faith, because sometimes to strengthen your faith, you have to go beyond what is required. You have to be, go beyond just what is right in front of you. You have to take a step of faith into the unknown to take a risk to go behind enemy lines and to get further confirmation. So Gideon, he says, man, I, I need to strengthen my faith. I need to take advantage of this opportunity. And so he goes down and he goes down with Pura. Now, when he goes down there, he hears a conversation. And the conversation that he hears is going to now give him some comfort. If you're still with me, would you say amen? amen. Notice verse number 12. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, and their camels were without number as the sand by the sea uh, seaside for multitude. Now uh, that verse is in there to remind us and to remind Gideon that hey, uh, the enemy is still very real. It's still very large, and uh, and uh, they're just covering this whole valley like uh, like grasshoppers and sand by seaside for multitude. So you have this massive army, and then you have uh, Gideon and his servant Purah, They're going on this secret mission. I kind of picture. I don't know how your imagination works, but but I kind of picture Gideon, he's in one of those ghillie suits. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, like in camouflage, and he's going down there. He's trying, to, he's trying to sneak down into enemy territory. He's got a servant, Pura with him, and uh, they're, they're sneaking down here, and they hear this conversation. This is what they hear, verse 13. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream. Unto his fellow. Now, uh, all throughout the biblical narrative, we learn that God speaks often through, through dreams. He spoke to Joseph through a dream. That's how he revealed his truth to Joseph. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Uh, many different people had, had dreams. Now, in, in our day, God has given us the completed word of God. We have something far better than a dream because we have God's completed word. And so we go to God's word for revelation. But here God was going to use this dream to deliver a message to Gideon. Here's what it is. Behold, I have dreamed a dream and lo, a cake of barley bread. Okay, we'll come back to that in a second. But barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along. And so uh, that was the dream. This, this little barley bread, this little biscuit uh, rolled down and, and completely tumbled over this entire tent and destroyed it. That's the dream. Now the next verse, we have the interpretation of the dream. Here it is, verse, verse 14. That, and his fellow answered and said, this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon. The son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the hosts. And can you just picture Gideon and his servant laying there and they're listening to this conversation? Gideon's like, wow, they really respect me over there. Like I already heard it from God, but but now my enemy is saying that that, that I am that I'm gonna deliver uh, the Israelites in man. So th- this was this was kind of a, a good feeling for Gideon, but I think it's interesting that in the dream, Gideon represents, if we go back to verse 13, Gideon represents. The barley bread. The barley bread represents Gideon, which is interesting because in this culture, in ancient culture, barley bread was not a desired bread. Uh, this was not like a bread that you actually wanted to eat. Like this wasn't like Olive Garden breadsticks because Olive Garden breadsticks are amazing, right? This, this was like, uh, this was like uh, uh, only, uh, only the, the servants and animals would eat barley bread. Not, not even poor people would eat barley bread because this was kind of a gross uh, thing. And so what what happens here is that Gideon uh, hears this dream and he is compared to to barley bread like he's just insignificant. He's something that, that nobody else wants. But I just want to remind you today that it's not about what other people think about you. It's not about how people size you up and it's not about what other people think that you're capable of. It's what God has told you that he can do through you. And so it doesn't matter if the enemy says here's this little piece of barley bread, something insignificant is going to destroy the entire army god is going to use gideon in a great way and so now gideon has this further confirmation he has this further comfort but i just want to tell you he never would have got it if he didn't seize that opportunity to go behind enemy lines and strengthen his faith remember it wasn't a requirement god just said if you're scared if you want to do this you can and so gideon said okay i'm going to take this opportunity to strengthen my faith i wonder this morning what is an opportunity that god has put in your path to strengthen your faith It might mean re-engaging in a small group to strengthen your faith. It might mean uh, to start serving. It might mean to get plugged into a discipleship group or to say, man, uh, I need to grow further in my faith. It might mean to start listening to some different podcasts and listening to some different music and start uh, filling your mind with the word of God and with psalms of praise. It might mean uh, doing some of these things. Hey, it might mean uh, hearing about Rock Hill Conference. Oh, Rock Hill Conference, that's three days of preaching and encouragement and worship and inspiration. Hey, that sounds like an opportunity to strengthen my faith. And I just want to encourage you today to seize everything every opportunity to strengthen your faith. Sometimes it means going beyond just what is required. It means going the extra mile to get that confirmation and to get that affirmation and that assurance that we can step into the calling of God with confidence. And so Gideon, he has this confidence now. He has this assurance because God told him, and now God sent him on on this mission, and now he hears it from the enemy. And this leads us to our second thought this morning, number two. If you want to walk in victory, number two, Before you go to war, go to worship. Before you go to war, go to worship. If you're still with me, would you say amen? Amen. Notice what it says in verse 15. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshiped. And then he returned. Into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. And I love this because Gideon hears this message that would have brought confirmation, that would have brought encouragement. But the Bible doesn't say that he just gets up and he runs back to the camp and he's like, Guys, you'll never guess what I just heard. I heard them say that we're going to get the victory. He doesn't do that first. He pauses and he worships. Because Gideon understood that if he was going to be successful in war, he had to be successful in worship. And many times we get so ready to go out into the battle. We're going to do this on our own. We're going to figure this thing out. And we forget to pause and worship the Lord and worship him and praise him for his goodness in our lives. That is why a day like today is so good to take time to pause and to make sure that we are intentionally praising God for his goodness. Gideon, he bows down in humility and he worships. Now, worship involves hearing from God and it involves responding to God. We have corporate worship, we have personal worship. I love corporate worship, times like this, where we come together corporately, uh, collectively, and we gather together and we lift high the name of Jesus. And and to do that, we must hear from God's Word and we must respond to God's Word through praise and through singing. Uh, John Stott, he's a theologian, he says this, word And worship belong indissolubly uh, to, to each other. All the worship is an intelligent and loving response to the revelation of God because it is an adoration of his name. Therefore, acceptable worship is impossible without preaching. For preaching is making known the name of the Lord, and worship is praising the name of the, of the Lord made known. And so what is he saying? He's saying preaching and singing should go together. This is true biblical corporate worship. When we come together, we hear from God's word, and we lift high the name of Jesus through song. Uh, both of those components are involved in worship. When we come together collectively, and when we sing songs, and when we clap, and we want to get excited, and someone raises a hand, uh, we, we don't raise a hand to get attention, <laughs> We don't raise a hand to say, hey, this is about me. We raise a hand because that reflects a biblical pattern of worship. As you study worship in the Old Testament, when you study worship even in the New Testament, you you, you find certain words, and there are several different words for worship in the book of Psalms uh, that that instruct us on how to worship. Uh, One of them is is the Hebrew word todah, and it means to praise God with extension of hands. And uh, we see other words like yadah, to praise God again with extended hands. And so when we do things like this in corporate worship, it's not uh, trying to get attention. It is trying to give Jesus the praise an honor that he deserves it's a it's a it's a posture of surrender and it's a posture of reflection saying god you deserve it all you deserve all the honor and the glory uh, through this time and so i love times of corporate worship like this but that's not what gideon did this was personal private worship And a lot of times we can get very excited about corporate public worship to the neglect of personal private worship and I want to encourage you today, before you go to battle, before you go to war, go to worship personally. Starting every day, going to the Lord, going to his word, praising him, uh, uh, praying to him, talking to him, spending time uh, uh, praying and, and spending time in his word. That is our personal worship. I was listening to a leadership podcast this week, and I love what, what one man said. He said, I made a decision years ago that before in the, every morning, I was going to win the morning. I'm going to win the morning. And before I went digital, before I go digital, I go to God's word. So before I pick up a phone, an iPad, a computer, before I do any of that, I'm going to go to God's word. I'm going to start the day right. I'm going to win that moment. And I just want to encourage you today to prioritize your pursuit of God and, and to pursue him in worship. The Bible says this in Matthew 6, 6. Uh, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Personal worship. Hebrews eleven six 6 says this, but without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you diligently seek after God and pursue him in personal worship, God will honor that. He will reward that. And so uh, before we go to war, we have to go to worship. Our third thought today, number three, we have to pay attention to the pattern. Pay attention to the pattern. Notice verse number 16. And he divided the 300 men. Remember, uh, Gideon still only had 300 men. They still had 135,000 men. And so Gideon uh, gathers his uh, 300 men. He divides them into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand and with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And so he gives them these instruments. He gives them these tools. Verse number um, 17. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. Everybody say, Do likewise. Do likewise. He's saying, watch me and do as I do. He says, I'm going to give you a pattern to follow. Watch me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, uh, so shall ye do. Verse 18. And when I blow with a trumpet and I I, and all that are with me, then, then you blow the trumpet. And also on every side of all the camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And uh, I love that he says, uh, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Because if you remember the dream, they said, this is the sword of Gideon. But Gideon instructs them to say, this is the sword of the Lord. He wanted to make sure that God got all the honor and glory from it all. And so he says, hey, let's go ahead and shout the sword of the Lord and Gideon, not just uh, the sword of Gideon. But he says, "Hey, hey, watch me and do as I do. And so he's setting a pattern. And so often when we go to war and we have battles in our lives and struggles in our lives, the reason why we're failing is because we're following the wrong pattern. And Gideon said, if we're going to be successful in this, if we're going to win this battle, you have to follow and do as I do. I'm setting forth this pattern. Now, now for us today in 2019, 1 Peter 2.21 says this, for even here unto we were called, watch this, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. Everybody say an example an example that you should follow his steps. And so we are to follow the example of Christ. That is our duty. That is our mission. That is our assignment. We are not to emulate the culture. We are to emulate Christ. That, that is what we're called to do, and so, and so for us, we are looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, but not only that, we're to look to other uh, biblical patterns and good examples in our lives. This is what Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 17, brethren, be followers together of me. That word follower means to imitate. He's saying, imitate uh, me and mark them uh, which walk so as you have an, uh, us for in sample, and so What he's saying is he's saying make sure that you're following the right example, that you're following the right pattern. Uh, Make sure that you're looking to a godly example and seeking to emulate that lifestyle and not an ungodly lifestyle. And so we need to make sure that we're following the right pattern. But I want to tell you quickly, we have to make sure that we're setting the right pattern. We're setting the right pattern in life. Billy Graham said this, We are the Bibles the world is reading. We are the creeds the world is needing. And we are the sermons the world is heeding. We need to make sure that we are setting the right example. Uh, I've, I've had this song stuck in my head over the last several weeks, and I've been singing it a lot. It's, uh, it's called Never Lost. Anybody heard the song Never Lost, Never Lost a Battle? Never lost a battle. Because you never lost a battle. It's a good song. It's a good song. And I've been singing it. And uh, Katie's been singing it, uh, my wife. And uh, the other day, Katie sent me this video. And my son, Luke, was singing this song. And I had no idea that he even knew about this song at all. But he had just been kind of picking it up as we've been singing it. And he was singing it. I have the video uh, for us to watch this morning. You, can I feel, but no, you never lost battle. No, you never lost battle. And I know, and I know, and you never will. All right. One day he's going to be up here with Seth leading worship, singing that song. I had no idea that he was paying attention and that he even knew that I was singing that song, but he was emulating a pattern that he saw. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said this, train up a child in the way that he should go, but be sure you are going that way yourself. Let's make sure that we're following the right pattern, but setting the right pattern. Titus 2, seven says, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity. And so uh, Gideon says, watch me. Follow the right pattern. Verse 19. (laughs) So Gideon and the 300 men that were with him came into the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. Verse 20. And the three companies blew the trumpets and they break their pitchers and, and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. So Gideon has this brilliant plan. They surround the camp. They split up into three different groups and and uh, uh, they're gonna break those pitchers and uh, that would reveal the light and they're gonna blow the trumpets. They're gonna shout the sword of the Lord and Gideon. That would have kind of uh, caused the Midianites to, uh, to, uh, to fear. Uh, they, they, that would have caused them to be confused. In fact, kind of an ancient warfare, if they would see uh, one lamp, if they would see one light, like that that could re- represent a whole legion of soldiers that could represent one light could represent hundreds or thousands of soldiers and so uh, they would have thought that they were completely surrounded by a massive army they would have been terrified so this was a very simple yet beautiful strategy uh, that that Gideon employs but it wouldn't work it wouldn't work if they didn't break the pitchers. and that leads us to our fourth thought this morning we have to recognize the value of brokenness We have to recognize the value of brokenness because this whole strategy, this plan that Gideon came up with to surround the camp and to frighten them, the only way that the light would be exposed is if they broke those pitchers. Only when it was broken could it expose light. All throughout scripture, we see that God utilizes things that are broken. Mark chapter two, verse number four, and when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, Everybody say, broken it up when they had broken it up they let down the bed where in the sick of the palsy lay the only way that they could get their friend to Jesus is if, if they completely tore apart and broke apart a roof and see God used that brokenness to lead someone to salvation Vance Havner said this God uses broken things it takes broken soil to produce a crop broken clouds to give rain broken grain to give bread broken bread to give strength it is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume it is Peter weeping bitterly who returns to greater power than ever see God's special and he utilizes in using broken things. And that is why this morning when we even took communion, we are reminded of the broken body of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, 24, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And so just remember, when you feel like you don't have much to offer, just remember when you feel like you're broken and your past is all messed up, just remember that if it wasn't for the broken body of Jesus Christ, that if it wasn't for the shedding of blood, there would be no remission of sin. See, God has great value in brokenness. You say, you don't understand my past. I come from a broken family. I come from a broken relationship. Hey, my past is all messed up, and I just want to say, God can use your brokenness. God can use the cracks in your life to let the light shine through, and the only way that this plan was going to work is if they broke those pictures, and they said, hey, hey, see this light, and I just want to encourage you, there is great value in brokenness. God specializes in utilizing and using brokenness to lead to a breakthrough, Many times it's the brokenness that leads to God's goodness and to God's plan. Psalm 147 verse 3 says, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. There is great value in what is broken. This leads us to our last thought, number five. If you have one more, in you today, would you say amen? Amen. Just one more. That's it. Number five, stand firm in your place. How are we going to get spiritual victory? How are we gonna get the victory against the battle that rages against us? We have to stand firm in our place. Standing firm. Notice verse number 21. And they stood every man in his place. Everybody say his place. His place. They had a spot. This is my spot. It's your spot. Your spot. I'm gonna stand in my place. I'm gonna stand where I've been assigned to stand. I'm gonna re- remain faithful to where God has called me. Can I just encourage you today that God has a specific place for you? He has a purpose for you. Sometimes we kind of feel like, how many of you have seen uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, that movie? You've seen that movie? Remember the island of misfit toys? Remember there was like a train that had square wheels and a water gun that squirted out jelly? There was a cowboy that rode an ostrich, I think. I think we have a picture of these misfit toys. There they are. Sometimes we feel like, where do I fit in to the family of God? Where where do I belong? Where's my place? Sometimes people look even at a church congregation. They say, I don't know if I belong. I don't know if I fit in. It seems like this church has a lot of young people. It seems like this church has a lot of old people. It seems like this church has a lot of this kind of people. Hey, this church is for all people. God has a place for all of you. God has a place for all of us. The gospel is for all mankind. And each one of us brings something different to the table. Wisdom, experience, youth, energy. God wants to use all of our gifts to bring him ultimate glory. God has a place for you. And we're not going to experience spiritual victory if we don't stand firm in our place. They stood firm. The Bible says this in Psalm 1, verse number 3. And he shall be like a tree planted. Everybody say planted planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. See, we're to be planted. Stay firm in our place. First Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain of the Lord, God has a place for you. Notice verse 22. I have a few more uh, minutes, but I want you to stand with me as I close out this message. And I want to encourage you to, to lean into these last few moments. Verse 22 And the 300 blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow. And so the Midianites got all confused, they started fighting each other. They, they heard the broken pitchers. They saw the lights. They heard the trumpets. They heard the shouting. They got confused. They started fighting one another. They were disoriented. They were confused. It was the middle of the watch. It was during a vulnerable transition. They started to fight one another, even throughout all the hosts. And so uh, God is bringing them this great victory, and the enemy is destroying themselves. And I love how this story ends, and I want to read verse number 23 in just a moment. But before I read verse number 23, I, I think we have to get some context to understand it. And I think we have verse number three, all the way back in Judges 7, I think we have verse number three. It says this. Th- this was way back before. This is when uh, Gideon still had 32,000 people. You remember when Gideon still had 32,000 people? God says this. Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people 20 and 2,000. How many of you remember when 22,000 people said, I'm, I'm scared, I'm afraid, I'm gone. They left. They went home. You ever wonder what happened to those guys? Like they went home and they were like, man, maybe they started to hang their heads. Maybe they started to feel guilty. Shouldn't have left. Gideon's out there all alone. Man, I can't believe I was a coward. I can't believe I went home. And they went back home to their their wives and their family. What are you doing back so early? Well, they said if you were afraid, you you could come back home. They went home. But I love verse number 23. Notice what it says. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together. Who is that? Who's the men of Israel? That's the 22,000 people that went home. Can I tell you today, God gave them a second chance. They re-engaged in the battle. They said, hey, we went home, but we're going to get back in the fight. We're going to go and chase down the enemy. Hey, God's going to give us a victory. We're re-engaging our faith. Hey, God is a God of second chances. And if you've given up, if you're on the sidelines, God is not done with you yet. You can get back in the battle. You can re-engage in the mission, and God can use you for his glory. They got back in the fight. They said, let's go. And they were given this privilege of chasing down the enemy. Notice verse number 25. It says this. And they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. Those were the, the, the two kings, the two guys in charge of the enemy. They took them and they slew Oreb upon the rock uh, of Oreb and Zeb. They slew, watch this, at the wine press. Don't you love how God brings things full circle? Where was Gideon when we first met him? He was at the wine press. Where did they get their greatest victory? At the wine press. See, God can take your place of insecurity and make it the place of your greatest victory. God can say, hey, I can use your weakness for my glory. I can use that insecurity. I can use that insufficiency. Hey, I can use your weakness to bring about strength. I love the ending of the story. God is giving them this great victory. And I love how in the middle of it all, the victory was made possible because the Israelites let out a battle cry. They broke those pitchers. They blew those trumpets. See, sometimes the greatest thing that you can do when you're in the midst of a battle is to let out a battle cry of praise. I think this morning we gotta lift up our voices and let out a battle cry of praise. Come on, sing it like you believe it today. Bye. external sign of an inward belief, an inward conviction. They said, God's got this. He he promised us. I have delivered them into thine hand. And so they said, man, we're not going to keep that thing inside. We're going to let out a battle cry. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It was a cry of faith. I want to read two verses and we'll be done today. First John 5, 4 says this, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is is the victory. You want to know what the victory is? The Bible tells us. This is the victory. What's the victory? This. This is the victory that overcometh the world. Watch this. Even our faith. Can I tell you today that faith is the victory. Faith does not lead to victory. Faith is the victory. When we express our faith and say, God, I trust you, we are victorious because faith is the victory. And maybe you're here today and you've never placed your faith, you've never put your faith completely on Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is our deliverer. He's our perfect Savior. Gideon was a temporary deliverer. He, He brought temporary deliverance to the Israelites, but guess what? Spoiler alert, they would mess up again. They would need another deliverer. But I'm thankful today that Jesus Christ is the one final deliverer. He is our savior once and for all. He died for the sins of the world so that we could know him and have a home in heaven forever. And he is the object of our faith. And we need to place our faith completely in him. That's what the Bible says about salvation. Today, if you want victory over death, you can have it. You can defeat death just like Jesus did. How? by placing your faith in Jesus alone because he says I am the way the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father but by me. Romans says it says it this way Romans 10 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe everybody say believe that's faith remember faith is the victory if you believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved what a wonderful beautiful promise That if we believe in our heart, you will be saved. That is the gift of salvation. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can know him. You can have a home in heaven through faith, by his grace. And you can trust him and know for sure that you have a real relationship with God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.